Welcome to Making Docs. I'm Caroline, a freelance documentary director. And I'm Paul, an aspiring documentary film producer. Follow us on this journey where we speak to industry professionals to get practical advice on the filmmaking process. In this episode, we speak with professional filmmaker Thomas Meadmore about his experience of being a character in his first feature-length documentary film titled How to Lose Jobs and Alienate Girlfriends, which was rated four out of five stars by Total Film. In this film, Tom chooses to follow his girlfriend and boss as they chase their dreams to become professional musicians. He finds that his own insecurities flare while struggling to find a story and begins challenging their flaws on camera, jeopardizing the film, his relationships and career. Hello, Tom. Hi. Welcome to, how would you describe this place, Tom? Well, it's an office. (laughs) (laughs) What did Sophie say? It was like an attic? No, we're like in a garage. In a garage, yeah. It does feel like a garage. Um, (laughs) Grey walls around us, but it's got an energy to it because it's... um, There's lots of entrepreneurs everywhere. Yes, there is. We're in a, yeah, an entrepreneurial (laughs) hub. Thanks for coming today Tom, my pleasure well. thanks for uh, having me thanks for being interested and you've just come off an edit yourself are you, what are you working on at the moment uh i'm working on the cancer conflict which is going very well um, and that's your own film that's my own film yeah and how long is that in the making how long you've been working i've been on working that? on that since 2014 <gasps> that's in, quite a long intake time. of breath <laughs> and it's taken this long what was it funding or was it what was the well i mean if i had funding for it then i'd probably we would have sped up the process massively yeah. Of course. But you uh, self-funded this film? For the most part, I did a crowdfunding campaign to to raise money, which I thought would finish it. But subsequently, you know, I've needed more time. But my, for the most part, yeah, I've funded it myself, 100%. Yeah. Great. And we'll talk a bit about that in maybe the second half of this podcast. Sure. Why I kind of asked you here today as well is to talk about stepping in front of the lens and mm. being in your own film. Mm. Now, I've made films myself, short films, and I've worked with a lot of filmmakers as well. And I always think it's part of the filmmaking process is that at times a filmmaker will question, should I be in this? Should I have a voice in this? Should I step in front of the camera? Should I solve the creative problem by doing it that way? And I think it's something that everyone will come across at some point. Mm-hmm. Now, explain to me the film in which you stepped in front of the camera. I believe it was your first feature film that you were making. Yeah. So if you can tell me a bit about what that film was, and then we'll talk about the points at which you felt you had to step in front of the camera and what that whole journey was like for you. So basically the film's called How to Lose Jobs and Alienate Girlfriends. It was, for the, that was a, a title chosen at the last minute. For a long time it was called Sweet Dreams. And it basically follows me making a film about two aspiring musicians, uh, one who's my boss and the other who's my girlfriend, and how the process of the filmmaking destroys my relationships with both of them. Dangerous subjects to be making a film about to yeah. start with. Yeah. <laughs> Ballsy move, Tom. <laughs> what Thank was you. the film going to be about, like in the beginning? Only about them becoming, like having following their dreams well, as musicians? or? Yeah, I mean... I set out to make a film about the creative process Mm. and it was, I had lots of ideas about what I wanted it to be about. Mm. It was unfocused. I didn't realize that at the time, 
but I was collecting interviews and having dis- with, with people and having discussions with people about all sorts of things that were related to the creative process and inspiration and mm-hmm. the, the reasons why we do these things. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to intrinsically tie what I was discovering or illustrate what I was discovering through these two personal stories, one mm-hmm. of my boss mm-hmm. and one of my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And so it was supposed to be about that and that's why it was called Sweet Dreams. Mm-hmm. And at what point did, did you change? think, uh, yeah, did it change that you kind of thought it oh, took a it really be about me, like me as f- the filmmaker yeah. inspiring to make this film? It's an interesting thing because I I never intended for to be in the film. I never intended to be part of it ever. Mm-hmm. I made a couple of short films before I started this that were about me. Mm-hmm. That one was a very personal film about. Um, me and my father uh, and the first time I, I met his new fiance in France and an experience that I had where it sort of um, brought up my fa- my issues with my father mm-hmm. and that was a really successful little film and then I made another one which is not available online that did extremely well in festivals called Grace although it wasn't called that it was called Step Six mm-hmm. which is about my a very personal story about me um which I, I, I built, it's a mosaic from footage from, from when I was a little boy to when I was 27, a whole mosaic which charts the journey of sort of being wrapped up in complete obsession with something and mm-hmm. self-loathing mm-hmm. and finding coming out of that and finding some sort of peace. Mm-hmm. And it, that did really well. That played at Palm Springs International Film Festival, mm-hmm. Byron Bay, Warsaw, played all over the world. It was really successful. And based on that, I start, set off to make a very raw, very honest film about these two people exploring the creative process. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, I started filming these two people and was brazen with them. Now, mm-hmm. I, I, let me contextualize something at the time and this is important to, to I did I never I should have put this in the film but I didn't I think it it suffered as a result but at the time I was when I started it mm-hmm. I was just two years clean from from drug addiction mm-hmm. I just got into recovery so my whole life was in I think you allude turmoil. to that in the film but... it, it's touched on mm. it's touched on mm-hmm. so I had a horrendous marijuana addiction i was terrible I, like I'm, I'm nearly 14 years clean now but mm-hmm. at the time and i had just got clean and when you get clean from drugs and you take on something like recovery or you go through a really sincere process to change your life you examine every part of your life forensically to try try and grow basically and when you're forensically looking at yourself i'll speak for myself like it's almost impossible not to look at everyone else through that same forensic lens and i embarked upon this film with this headspace with this mindset and i thought both tony and amanda were on board with this level of analysis and i suppose you know you sort of add into that a someone who unfortunately one of my character flaws which gets me into a lot of trouble is that sometimes I can be very untactful and I can lack um, sensitivity to other people when I'm being honest with them. I try to be very honest with people when I'm engaging with them. Sometimes I can be insensitive to how I deliver that mm-hmm. honesty. And we see some of that in the film. And, well. and so throughout the process of making this film, these issues played out. On top of that, I would, and I only understood this retrospectively, is I would bring 
all of my anxiety and fear that was being generated through the learning process of making this film, I would bring it into the relationships that I had with Tony and Amanda and I would project it onto them. And all of this began to unfold as I was trying to make a film about their story. So as a result, what happens is the relationships. So you've got a series of relationships, mm -hmm. relationship dynamics, if you think about that too. So with Tony, I had uh, my boss. He was mm -hmm. my boss. Mm -hmm. He was also a, fr a friend. He was become a friend of mine. So we'd hang out and we got along really yeah. well. And he was also someone who, I, he was a contributor, someone I was making a film about. Mm -hmm. All three of those relationship dynamics conflict with one another. Mm -hmm. They completely do, completely conflict. Mm -hmm. And with Amanda, she's my girlfriend mm -hmm. and she's also a, a, a contributor. Mm -hmm. And when you're filming someone, you have to be really boundaried with them. You have to have very careful boundaries with them so that trust is sustained for them to open up and feel safe with you. And if I'm coming into this dynamic, sharing with her as my girlfriend, oh, my God, I'm freaking out. I can't believe, oh, I'm fucking this up. Or, oh, my God, you know, or I'm feeling stressed because this person, this contributor is doing something that I think is, I don't know, you know, I'm making a judgment on, on mm -hmm. for, which is not the right thing to do. Then they're at odds. It's all at odds. Yeah. And it creates a problem within the relationships massively. And so I, as I was sincerely trying to make a film about their stories, I began to project my own fears onto them. Mm -hmm. And because of the place I was at in my life, the immaturity, the narcissistic side of myself that I was trying to work through, mm -hmm. I was judging them. Mm -hmm. I was judging their journeys and I was making de decisions about who I thought they were and what I thought they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that couldn't help but play out behind the scenes and create problems with me and Tony and Amanda behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so I was filming for a long time. I was filming for a couple of years and I had lots and lots of footage. I filmed the entire recording process of Tony's album. I've got so much material I didn't use, you have no idea. Well, 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 you were learning, Tom, at the same time. I mean, this was your yeah. first feature film, yeah. so you, d you didn't know what the limits and the... No, and that word. I really. didn't understand. Mm. Uh, I didn't understand how to find a focus mm. and to stick to that. I was constantly going, "Well, it's about this. No, it's about that. No, it's about this." And it's all, but that's all related. It's all. This is all connected. And so I'm just going to keep following my instinct, which I think is a common mistake for people. Mm. I think it's quite common. But I also had all this added pressure. I mean, God, I had all this added pressure on myself about it having to be. Of, you know, really good and it has to be demonstrative of what I'm capable of and all this sort of stuff, you know, and I, and, but, but more than that, what I wanted to do is I really wanted to tell a story, find a film that was going to give the audience something special that they could take home, that they hadn't experienced before, that was in some way giving them a powerful, meaningful experience. I really wanted to do that above all else. And I You're an ambitious person and you were putting a lot of time into this. So you had high expectations that you wanted to make something of quality. I wanted to make something of quality. I wanted to make a film that worked as a film, but I wanted to make a film that had meaning for people. Because that's why I do it. I, you know, I tell stories because the vicarious transformative experience stories have on me when I, when I watch them. 
I wanted to give that kind of an experience to an audience. Mm. Very difficult project you chose because you're seeing these people. <laughs> you're seeing these people every day. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, so and you life. see it in the film where they where they start to ask you what's going on with the film. Like, well, that's all. That was all off camera. Like that wasn't part of the film. That wasn't part oh, of it. Oh, okay. Right? I wasn't filming it going, yeah, this is going to be part. There, was, there wasn't a decision that was made halfway through filming. I just filmed everything. And all the crap you see of me talking to myself, okay, and I should have put this in the film as well. I personally feel I have a very interesting relationship with this film because I look at it back at it retrospectively and think about the things that I, I, would, I would do differently now. And this is one of them. But I began filming myself as a video diary from a really young age, from like in my teens, mm -hmm. because my mum used to talk, tell me stories of her childhood. And I used to be fascinated by who was my mum when she was my age, who was my mum? And I was like, I'll do that so I can show my kids. So I started doing, so I had all this material anyway, and I used to download to the video camera as a selfies before everyone was doing so. I used to, I've got so much shit of me going, oh, this is what's going on today. And I'm feeling like this. I had that anyway. I had it. I just had it. So you were used to doing it. I was used to, I was completely used yeah. to doing it completely since God knows. So that's a thing like in terms of decision as a filmmaker, because there are sometimes stories that evolve during the production process yeah. that filmmakers decide, oh, I think I should be, they talk to the editors and they should be part of the film. But in your case, it was like you filmed everything. That well, was your decision. I, or... Yeah, I was filming, I was filming my own life just yeah. as, a, as a way of kind of like therapy. Yeah. And I was making this film following Tony and Amanda's yeah. specific life events that were relevant to their creative endeavors. Mm -hmm. I was filming them as part of the film. Mm -hmm. And in the background, there was all this drama going on. And so there was crossover. Mm -hmm. So I was video diarying the shit that was going on in my life. And mm -hmm. oh my God, this just happened at work. Oh my God, I've just completely offended Tony. And mm -hmm. oh my God, I've completely upset my girlfriend, Amanda. Mm -hmm. You know, I was filming that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was also filming their lives. Mm -hmm. So I've got stacks of stuff. But still, mm -hmm. I was like, this is not about me. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be about me. Mm -hmm. And I was, when did I start? I think I started, the first filming day was August, Tony's birthday, his 40th birthday in August 2008. Mm -hmm. And I started filming then. And I was still filming. But I think by the time in 2010, yeah. I was still going. And I had made a decision to... I had to go and stay with my dad to edit the film. And I went over and spent three months, I had a three months sort of living with dad in Europe where he was, he'd moved to just editing the film. Right. So you thought you had a film without you in it. Oh, of course. Yeah. I was like, I'm not in this. This right. has got nothing to do with me. Right. And I went over to Europe and I spent, I swear to God, I spent three months editing this film. And what I edited was this, I've got like, so much edited stuff that's nowhere near that film. I've got all this stuff of like, because I filmed all these interviews with people, creative artists, blah, blah. I've got dozens of hours of, of interviews with semi-famous people in Australia, creatives, all these professionals talking about the creative process. And I cut it all together into these montages about inspiration, uh, th like, like kind of like a um, essay essays and I wove them into these you know key sequences of Tony and Amanda's story so you know inspiration all these people talk about inspiration then suddenly would come out and have Tony and Amanda talking about a particular song that we then focus on and it's great like I love it like some of the stuff that I've got it's beautiful and it makes me very happy but I but, but I could not find a thread I could not in myself find a way to tie it all together mm -hmm. and to, sh to, to to give them an arc 
And I, I frankly, I didn't have the skill set to do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't first film. I didn't have the ability to skip. Yeah, but I was yeah. a professional editor, Paul. You know, I mean, I was I was professionally editing television at the time. Right. But I mean, I, I've always bitten off more than I can chew, and I was mm-hmm. I, I didn't have the skill set to do it. I did not have it, and this process taught me. So that 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 was part of the reason why it took a long time. But then once I eventually moved to London, this is I think when it started to turn. Amanda and I fell out. Mm-hmm. We had a f- massive falling out. Mm-hmm. And she uh, wanted nothing to do with the film anymore. And Tony and I uh, were okay, but she, f- she and I fell out. And it was then that I started to really reflect on all of these issues that I had that I described at the start of our conversation. Mm-hmm. I started to really reflect on this stuff and go, hang on, what is it? What on earth have I done here mm-hmm. to put myself in this situation where I've harmed these people, in particular Amanda, mm-hmm. or, or at least made her so upset? What have I done? How is this possible? What were, what were her concerns? Amanda's concerns. Look, she had her issues. I'm not going to speak for her. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll just let's. I'll, I'll I'll try and talk about this as best I can. But yeah. she and I fell out, and um, and I was faced with the decision. Okay, do I try and finish this film with mm-hmm. without her permission, mm-hmm. and then appeal to her, or do I try and find some other solution? Mm-hmm. And I made a decision to try and finish it and appeal to her. It took me another two years <laughs> to finish it. And that's of because agony. Yeah. you, so it's just, just editing. You didn't have to reshoot anything no. once you decided that you were going to be And the in big that process, in that, around the same time, I had a conversation with someone who said, you're the center point for this. Mm-hmm. And I finally, I guess, reneged or, or just went, okay, yes, I can see that. Uh, one of the things I had learned over the course of my television career is the stuff that ends up in the film is always the most compelling, most dr- dramatic stuff, the m- stuff where the stakes are the highest. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the most compelling, most dramatic stuff was the fallout with me and Tony and the fallout with me mm-hmm. and my girlfriend. That was the most compelling dramatic stuff. And I mm-hmm. actually, when I was able to sort of see that, I was able to see that all the things I wanted to explore in this massive essay, blah, 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 that I was, you know, fishing yeah. around, was that, that was intrinsically tied into those relationships. Well, I'm trying to get my head around those. That there's an amazing scene where you confront Tony about the relationship that you have with him mm. and, and the breakdown of it. But that's obviously filmed with you in it, and it, yeah. and, and that's a big part of it. So, oh, well, then what was that about? Why did we do that? Then why did you film that? Yeah. Um, it's funny. He suggested that. He said, okay. I mean, I said, say that in the film. He said, so he let's tried have a talk, to pull you into Let's the have film. a talk about this on camera. Right. Right. And I think Tony was, Tony was always, um, Tony liked those two little short films that I described that were about me. He always liked those films. He thought they were quite, that there was something about them that he liked. And he liked the idea that I was somehow part of this. And so he suggested that. And I don't know. I mean, I, you know what? I don't know. Even then, I didn't want to be part of it, Paul. Because on, on some level, you must have thought, well, actually, this makes for a better film if I confront this and be in it, but not necessarily make a decision at the time that you were going to be the biggest presence in it. So it sounds like you were a little bit lucky that you had that kind of material to focus on when you decided to be the biggest presence. Yeah, I mean, given the nature of what it was and the way I was going about it, I was constantly filming shit all the time, Mm -hmm. myself and them. So it kind of just made sense to just film that. I mean, I, I, maybe it was just my lack of um, experience. I, I didn't see, maybe they saw before, long before I did that, that I was 
at the center of the film. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't have a big dilemma then of shall I be in this or not? It just it just made sense to you, and you were quite relatively comfortable with it because you'd had experience in the past of being on camera and recording yourself and doing this kind of thing. So yeah. you just thought, okay, well, I, I mean, can make this work because of my experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that, yeah, exactly, Paul. I mean, I used to be an actor, so I was always comfortable being on camera. And then, as I said, I'd been documenting my own life as a, as a means of therapy and also as a means of sort of having something to show my children for a really long time. And I'd made those two short films that I was, that were about me as well. So yeah, it was just, it was kind of a very easy organic thing to do. Very easy. What was the reaction to you being in the film as well? So obviously the contributors will react in one way yeah. and then you'll have a different reaction from friends and family and you might have a different reaction from the audience. What was the general reaction to you, to you being the star of that film? Uh, I think it was a, I think ultimately it was actually, um, it was a, it was harmful for the film. Uh, it depends where you, where you show, who watches it too. I think American audiences and Australian audiences had a different reaction to British audiences. In what ways? Mm, they did. Well, Americans, it played at Cinequest Film Festival and the reaction there was really um, positive, mm -hmm. really, really, really powerful, positive reaction. People had the kind of experience watching it that I wanted mm -hmm. people to have. Uh, and in Australia as well. Uh, yet in the UK it wasn't at all. I was. I, it was. It, I think the fact that I was at the centre of it hurt the film, uh, insofar as people would ask the question, well, wh "Why does this guy think he's important enough, or special enough, or interesting enough to put himself at the centre of his own film?" And this is narcissistic and navel gazing. Mm -hmm. If you look at it from that point of view from the outset, then you're going to miss the whole point of it, and you're going to miss what it's trying to do. Because you're going to immediately dislike me and um, you will not identify with me and the fundamental reasons why I'm making the film. You're going to immediately turn away and go, this guy's a dick. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't help the fact that I am, it shows my worst qualities. This film shows me at my worst, mm -hmm. which is not an easy thing, you know, if people, or if they only see my worst and that's it, then it's a very, very, it's very difficult uh, thing to sort of face and go, oh, shit. So coming back to the before editing, you said so there was an edit where you had your boss, your girlfriend as the center of your film because that was the film you wanted to do. And then someone, like back in London, someone suggested you should be in the film and you somehow saw it. What was it editing yourself in the film? Because you had to do a re-edit then, It's a really good question. <laughs> it's a really good question. What is it like editing yourself? That's an exceptional question. It's really question. weird. <laughs> uh, I think it's um, d extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially for a film like this, because I was experiencing an enormous amount of self-loathing mm. at the time, guilt and shame for how I, how things had gone with Tony and Amanda. Mm -hmm. And so I completely lacked the ability to paint myself in any light, positive way. So when you make a film, one of the things that you have to do is you have to make your audience empathize with and like the main characters that are in it. You have to give them reason to go on the journey with them. And when this is a microcosmic emotional kind of documentary about non-worldly issues that it's immediately, you can immediately identify why it's important. It's the total opposite of that. So it's already going to be difficult for people to get on board. 
add into that a couple of characters or a central character who is in no way giving you reason to like them, mm -hmm. good reason, and to understand and empathise with them, it's a really difficult ask. And it was virtually impossible. It was impossible for me to do that at the time. What I thought was achieving it, mm -hmm. and I thought would be really clear, was the self-deprecating humour in which I would tell the story. There are numerous points in the film that if you get it, you'll laugh where I'm making fun of myself. Mm -hmm. And there's that kind of reflective tone, retrospective tone to the way that I'm telling the story. And I thought people would get on board going, oh, well, he's... He's not taking himself too seriously. He's not, he's not taking himself too seriously, but he also, I can tell that this guy's remorseful. Yeah. And so I'll go along with it. Mm -hmm. It's not, it wasn't nearly enough, not even close to being nearly enough because, mm -hmm. you know, People just thought, why has this guy put himself in his own film? So, yeah. so, so yeah. So had I had some other perspective, yeah. someone else editing it or writing it or something like that, mm -hmm. they might have been able to step back and go, okay, this is going to be a big problem, Tom. We need to do a sequence which illustrates some more deeply the reasons why you're filming yourself or mm -hmm. why you've done X or, you know, why you projected your shit onto Tony and Amanda or why you were so harsh and untactful with them. And, you know, had I gone into more detail about the fact that I was in the midst of recovery and delving into my own life and being, you know, under putting myself under the microscope, you'd be like, and that's who I was. And I'm trying to be honest, but I'm just so raw myself. I'm being completely untactful. Like really, I'm not a bad guy. I'm just being just desperately trying to make sense of what's going on for myself at the same time. And this is why. If I had have given a little bit more insight into that, maybe that, you know, maybe someone else, working with someone else might have been able to help that kind of thing. But also I have to point out your question, one other thing to your question, and that is it's probably going to be an unusual situation for someone to be in the film and actually have the film be about them. Yeah. So, you know, give me, give me an example of a film you've seen recently where the filmmaker's in the film. Michael Moore film. Okay, it's not about it's not about him. No, it's not about him. It's, it's not, not about, about him. him. That's true. He doesn't have an arc. That's true. He does. He will not have arcs. Maybe he'll have a, you know, my mind was closed and now it's slightly more open, or maybe, you know, but the, it's not about him and his journey. No, I th I think it's just like a master. Like, what do they say from stand up and comedy or something? Like being on stage, for example, is like one of the most difficult tasks. Or for an for an actor, improv probably is like the the master discipline because it just like you have to. It's you. It's you. So you point you as a filmmaker. You point the camera to yourself, and that moment you become vulnerable, as you yeah. just said. It's raw, but you become vulnerable as well. You demask in a way uh, yourself. So I kind of think it's one of the di most difficult things that probably a lot of filmmakers don't do, as you just right. pointed out. Like yeah. there are not many filmmakers doing that. No. Yeah. How how did you get through the edit? Because like like you said, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I should say the way Paul's looking at me. Right incredibly <laughs> difficult. You must have brought others in to chip yeah, in. Yeah, I did. I needed help. 100. Yeah. percent So I actually from very early on tried to get people to help me. I mean, Tony was supposed to mentor me. But I mean that became <laughs> that became impossible that for obvious re for obvious reasons that became impossible. Um, also, the, the the people I needed to help me um, had it needed a unique skill set, and that was feature film storytelling, which is its own thing. 
three-act structure and that sort of stuff. So eventually when I got to London, I, I, I worked with a series of producers in my television work who were good with story and were good with, with uh, these sorts of – with the basic skill set. I, I was sort of looking at it from a – structure point of view three act and all that sort of stuff and and i worked with a fellow by the name of andrew Locke, wonderful story producer um edit producer who works in tv another guy duncan barnes who uh is the same and another guy a writer rob cromwell and then uh a really really big help was a woman by the name of Karen uh, Everett who runs um, uh, st- uh, new doc editing. She does story story consultancy uh, with applying a feature film screenwriting principles to documentaries. Mm-hmm. And she's she was wonderful in, in giving me notes and perspective as well. So these people were, were, were extremely – and another guy, Rob Peel, actually, as well. Uh, yeah, so these people – no one cares about the names, but, I mean mm-hmm. – they're, nice impo- they're important. Yeah. I'm shouting them out because they've made a big made a big impact. It sounds as though that you just wouldn't give this project up because <laughs> no, mate. You'd worked so hard on it. It's your first film. You got so much material. You know, there's the nucleus of something that could be really good, and your career's evolving at the same time to a place where your contacts are getting stronger. So it's almost like you won't give it up because you know you will eventually make a good film out of this. Yeah. Is that right? I, I knew that, that I believed in what I was trying to say. I really believed in it. I knew that there, for me there was something something powerful and important to say with it, and that's why I kept going. Mm, great. And um, for any filmmakers out there who are looking to maybe step in front of the lens themselves, would you recommend that they do it? What is your advice to anyone who might turn the camera on themselves? There was another filmmaker I met who made a wonderful film called Aspie Seeks Love. I met her at, um, her name is Julie Sokolo. Uh, Sokolo, oh, I hope you got your name right, Julie. Um, she also considered putting herself in the film as well. Um, I, I think that if you can avoid it, I would avoid it. <laughs> Not... Uh, why it's too much well I mean why why would you do it why would you put yourself in the film why are you putting yourself in the film and I've re- it's funny I recently have gone through this with the cancer conflict a film I'm in the process of finishing mm-hmm. up until very recently I had a the most recent cut of it has me in it with with a with an arc as in it's not just me sort of narrating the stories of these two people going through cancer there's Tom the person the filmmaker investigating it and having his own experience watching mm-hmm. watching them and the reason I did that was it was supposed to be a tool where the audience would identify with Tom the every guy every man who doesn't know anything about this sort of thing mm-hmm. going on this journey and they would ent- identify with me and mm-hmm. and be I would be their avatar to Experiencing, experiencing this it's not presenting there was because there was an arc to me i sort right. of went from being open-minded to, to very, character in it, i became yeah. a character in it right and i and i and i have recently ripped all that out there's parts of me that are going to be in it where i am investigating as a sort of neutral filmmaker but that arc that arc that where i have a tra- a journey that's gone and i guess the reason that's gone now is is because why why? Well, I have no connection to cancer. I don't have a personal connection to these two people. I don't, you know, it's why make it about me? Why? 
No one cares. No one cares. The only reason so, would be emotional. Like, I mean, in that case, you're describing a, a character, the, Tom, the filmmaker. Yeah. But in How to Lose Jobs and Alien and Girlfriends, it was about you. But it, it was, was about, about me. Like, yeah. Well, that's the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. About in that instance, my relationship and my with these two, yeah. with these two people, yeah, it was real. And my actions, yeah. my my actions, yeah. imp influenced their journeys and the story. Yeah. So it was legitimate to put me in it. Mm -hmm. This one, no. Mm -hmm. This one, the cancer conflict, no. Mm -hmm. So I believe you got advice to put yourself in it. As I well. did. I did what, get advice. What was the reasoning behind the advice? Well, the, the, exactly what I just described. Right. It was supposed to be a, a tool. Basically, it's a very complicated, cancer conflict is a very complicated, very difficult film to make in presenting a story of conventional medicine and a, a story of alternative medicine side by side. Mm. It's very difficult for a number of reasons I won't bore you oh with. Oh my God, I can imagine. You have no yeah. idea. Um, how do you do that? How do you do that in a way that enables you to convey all of the dangers and difficulties and concerns mm. safely to the audience? And we thought the way to do that was by giving me a greater presence and mm -hmm. using my journey and my point of view as a, as a, as a way to do that. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. And so. But for anyone who does put themselves in the film, do you have any why? tips? Or... Why? Just ask, <laughs> no. ask deeply oh, right. why. Why are you going in the film? And if they choose to, then. Then I, if you choose to put yourself in the film, buckle up and. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't recommend it, I think, because... Um, At I, all. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, are we talking about like Louis Theroux? Or are we talking about like... What are we talking about? Be, being a character. So, so being more than just a presenter, because there's obvious reasons would why... You you would you say Louis Theroux is a presenter, Michael Moore is a presenter, more of a presenter of, uh, of their own authored film? Because they're not the story, are they? So putting the, making themselves become part of the story. I would say buckle up, because... You know, making a film is hard, mm -hmm. and 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 when you put it out, people judge it, and they're not nice. <laughs> they're not nice. People, you know, once you put yourself above the parapet, people, it's licensed for people to be brutally honest. How and did you manage? Extremely difficult to deal with. I was going to say, how, how that? I'll, I'll answer that in a second. Yeah. That 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 in and of itself, having people criticise your film blatantly like that, after all the work you've gone through, is a very difficult thing mm -hmm. to negotiate. On top of that. Have people judge you and your character mm -hmm. and who you are as a person mm -hmm. on top of that as well is a whole other ball game. For your first film. So so yeah. so I would say tread tread carefully. Yeah. Tread Com carefully coming carefully. to the judging, because yeah. you said that there are like different reactions in different yeah. countries, but was it what was it like for your closer family, relatives, friends? Like how did the closer ones to you react to the film? People who knew me got it. Because they know me, they're not object, but they're not objective. Mm -hmm. They're very subjective, so they know me. They, they don't know. So they're all, oh, Tom, you were great. They, well, this they know. Amazing, well, they, I think the thing is, they know fundamentally who I am. They know that I can be untactful, and they know that I'm fundamentally an honest person. And they know fundamentally I have a good heart, and I'm a good person, and I'm trying to do the right thing. They know all that stuff as a given, mm -hmm. and so they're not going to sit down and go, "This guy's a narcissist." My dad. Might be an exception. <laughs> That's another story. But fundamentally, my family and friends had a great response to it. Really good response to it. People who don't know me, it's different. 
And in the UK, I had some very harsh criticism and it was very interesting to sort of see that, to, to see that sort of different point of view that that was spotlighted, that narcissistic side of things. But what is, what is more, um, it's, it's, not a stupid, it's not the word that I'm looking for, but what is in that sense more important to you? The critics like to see yourself in another light and also reflecting on that, how, come, how do I come across for other people that don't know me? Or rather that the reaction of the friends and like close ones of you reacted positively. What was more like important is not the wrong, the right word, but I'm not well, finding. Let me contextualize the critics. The critics, yeah. I guess, I suppose you might, for me, were the benchmark of um, has this film succeeded in doing its job? Mm -hmm. They're the top level kind of. You know, if a critic, a professional top critic from a newspaper or whatever says, yep, I like this, it means that the film has succeeded in doing what it needs to do. That's how I was measuring it, mm -hmm. right? And when, when top critics um, said unpleasant things, it made me feel like it had, I had not been successful. And what that means is that the... The, the most important thing for me was that this message, this the function of the film is to give the audience a meaningful and powerful experience. Um, uh, it, it didn't work. I'd failed at that. And that was, that was the thing that was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking on numerous levels because of my own issues and how much I identify with needing to be successful at that. Yeah. But fundamentally, you know, you put all this work into something, you build a building, mm -hmm. you want the building to stand up mm -hmm. and you want people to be able to work and live in that building. And mm -hmm. you go through hell to build the building. It's a really difficult thing to do. I mean, look, it's very complicated mm -hmm. to do this. A lot of money spent on it. You want to be able to see people in there enjoying the building that you've just built. And it felt like I'd just done, I'd built this building and it was derelict. It felt like the building was, it didn't work. It was, it was uninhabitable. And so the fundamental purpose of doing it wasn't achieved. That's what it felt like. Mm -hmm. The most important thing was giving people that experience. And um, I'm probably being too harsh. A lot of people do have the experience I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have no, I mean, to be honest, I have no perspective on it really. I just, you know, when you're a filmmaker, you just look at the, you hear so, the loudest voices of the critics. It's uh, so, so interesting to see is, all the different is, perspectives though as well, isn't what, it? What do you mean? As in, you, you would have got a, a few different reactions to the film. And, oh, I did, yeah. And it's, it must be fascinating to get different takes on the film. Uh, to be honest with you, do you know what? Do you know what? Retrospectively... So far out of all the films I've made, it's probably one of the most interesting and probably best in that it divides people. It, fu it fundamentally divides people. And that's a really good, good thing. Yeah. It's a really, really good thing to, for people to have a reaction. The worst thing is when people don't have a reaction. They're like, meh. But this one really divides people. And when they love it, they really love it. And I'm so proud of it. Like, it's a beautiful piece of work as far as I'm concerned. It's really honest and it's really true. It's incomplete, I think, mm -hmm. retrospectively. But, yeah, the people who have a positive reaction and the people who don't, I mean, oh, my God, I had people confront me face-to-face -face in public and say, what were you thinking? 
what were you thinking doing this? Like, honestly, Tom, what was on your, yeah, you, you were. Do a, you know these people? Yeah. Were they? yeah. Did I, I, I kind of knew, I right, kind okay. of knew one or two uh, of them. Say I didn't really. Strangers yeah. just coming up to you. I didn't really know them. I had. Oh, no, no, no. Do you know what? I had some. I had a couple of people I didn't know at Cinequest come up to me and tell me that it, you know, tell me about myself. What? Yeah, yeah. I suppose they think it's very this guy strange. Needs to be taken yeah. down a peg because yeah. he's, he yeah, thinks I he's think, above it. He's but why, yeah, why so. would people think, think that so. they should be the ones to do that? Because people are self righteous. <laughs> yeah. so I don't know. But then they are. That reflects on them. Yeah. But not only that. Not only that. The moment you put something in the public domain. It becomes a different ball game, a totally different ball game. It's like you're going, you are basically saying you're putting a target on your back immediately, and you know that's just part of the the deal. Did you discover that, or did you mentally prepare for that? No, I didn't, no, I no. didn't prepare. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I but discovered, scary. I learned that the hardest way, the hard, hard way. It was excruciating. It yeah. was really brutal and really excruciating. Okay. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. And I'm not about, I don't want to get into self-pity yeah. about it. I don't know how on earth you prepare for that. What a journey to take with your first film. What great foundations to use as a platform to what you've built as a career now, Tom. I will, well. I will say this. I will say, let me say this. Let me say this. Because this is actually really important to me. I didn't listen to Amanda. Mm -hmm. I didn't listen to her concerns and her fears and her issues with what I was doing and how I was doing it. I thought I knew best. And that's one thing to do it as to a contributor mm -hmm. and a big, big no-no. You have to collaborate. Mm -hmm. But she was also my girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was very arrogant and very self-righteous and all the things. And retrospectively, it was a horrendous mistake. And I, I completely understand why she, she felt, and I'm just talking in reference to what's in the film, mm -hmm. um, she felt backed into a corner. In the way that, and re reacted the way that she did. Mm -hmm. And I swear to God, I will never do that again. And I found recently, uh, I showed the cancer conflict to one of the contributors recently, uh, a cut of it. And they had a very powerful reaction to it and felt misrepresented, completely misrepresented. Mm. And I thought, you know what, I, I could, I have all the legals, I could just mm -hmm. crack on with it and go, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want with this. I will not do it again. So I promise I made to the integrity, you know, the integrity of the process is I will work with her until it's right. And, 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 and that's what I'm doing. I'm in the process of going, okay, this is, I mean, it's a massive amount of work to recalibrate the film in a way that's in line with representing this person mm -hmm. uh, responsibly. Uh, uh, it's, um, it's a massive amount of work, but I, I, I will not repeat that same mm -hmm. mistake. I've learned and I want to do the right thing by, these, by, by the people I work with. That's more important than anything. It's more important than any story and getting the story out for me. It's making sure that I'm doing the right thing by these people. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. The guilt and the shame that you have to carry when you make a mistake is not worth it. It's just not worth it. Not just the guilt, the shame, the consequence of seeing what the impact your actions have on those people, seeing that and seeing the pain or the consequences of your actions, it's just not worth it. It's not worth, it's not worth it. 
on those words of caution, I think we'll end part one. It's a bit too intense, isn't it? There. Sorry, everyone. I love uh, No jokes today. Yeah. No jokes. I'm sorry, everyone. I didn't it would have been my last question. <laughs> my, my question w would have been, uh, would you have done retrospectively anything different? And I think you answered it perfectly because I think it's very, very important to think about integrity and everything as a document filmmaker. I thought I was acting with integrity. Oh. I, was, I thought I was acting with integrity and was in Better, line with integrity. I really did. I yeah. really genuinely did. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think I could have done anything differently. If I could, I would, yeah. but I don't think I could have. So that's something. But to that's think about. great because I think that's important for us as well to learn from as well people with experience that made mistakes or kind of can say uh, can say that. So we don't repeat them. Hopefully, we'll see. I've would, learned. I've be, learned that you won't be character you in your film yeah. because you you wanted to be character I won't in your make film. That mistake. <laughs> yeah, because I've learned from you too. So. Yeah, thank you so, so much for opening up. Great.